So welcome everybody to this week's podcast. The title for this week's topic is around grief. And it got me thinking with Christmas approaching that um, how important it is to tell people close to us, family, friends, and what, you know, how much we love them and, and embrace that because you don't know whether they'll be here tomorrow you know, with Christmas and everything, I know, and obviously with the fifth period, whereby probably spending a lot of time with people who are close to us, we probably think, oh my gosh, getting really fed up with you now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you now, honestly, having spoken recently to this week's sketch, to tell you what, after that chat, it, you know, I, I found, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe how much I'm missing my my dad is not here anymore with Christmas approaching being the first Christmas. That's not going to be there. So yeah, it really got me thinking. So that is kind of my message of the week. Please, with Christmas approaching, whatever, or, you know, do it now. You see a loved one, your family, whatever, friends, tell them how much you love them, give them a big hug and, you know, show them that. So going on to this week's guest, this week's guest is Tush. Welcome, Tush. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome, welcome. And, you know, yeah, you, you know, having had a brief chat with you last week, certainly got my thoughts, you know, in overdrive because you you lost your sister, Waverly, to breast cancer. Please tell us about Waverly. Tell us what happened. Uh, Waverly, well, my sister, she was just like any other young girl, you know, went to uni, uh, graduated, you know, working through trying to get uh, her career going and, you know, find like everything in life, just, just as a normal young person would do. And um, in 2015, she found a, a lump on her left breast. So immediately, like they say in, um, like, like you see on adverts and so on, and all textbook and reading newspapers and stuff, you find a lump, uh, you go to your doctors and check it out because, um, you know, that's a telltale sign of something sinister. Um, so she'd done that, and this was in 2015. But uh, when she went to the doctors and showed them the lump um, and told them about it, they kind of dismissed it. Not kind of dismissed it, they did dismiss it. They dismissed it because of her age, because you, you, you expect the worst. You, everyone does their Google searches and stuff like that. You, you think of the worst. Um, so when you go to the doctors, it's kind of reassuring when they say, oh, it's nothing to worry about. You're too young, um, you know, people your age don't get breast cancer, don't develop things like this. So hearing that is kind of like, you know, it's a bit of a reassurance and stuff. So you listen to the professional, they've studied it, you, you haven't studied it. Yeah. So my sister went away a month later, lump is still there because the doctor said that it's probably just like a, you know, females have got milk ducts and stuff like that. So it's probably something like that that might be clogged or it could be a cyst or something like that that's, um, that's causing the lump. Um, not to worry about it, it should be clear. So after a month, lump gets a bit bigger still there still feeling it my sister goes back to the um to the doctors again again they're saying it's nothing to worry about they can't see nothing wrong um and so on so yeah she she, she just kind of lived with it for for a while knowing that there's something there but keep on being told that it's nothing to worry about and obviously you're listening to professionals like i said before so fast forward now 2016 so this is a year after she initially found the lump in 2015 um, she was now 26 years old. She found it at 25. Still, the lump is there, still causing a bother. It's got bigger now. It's like, you know, 
a bit of discomfort and so on. So she goes to the doctors again. And again, she sees a new, a new doctor this time. And again, like, like without actually even touching it, seeing anything or doing anything, no, you're too young, don't worry about it. It's just a cyst and so on. Send her away. But this time my sister didn't accept that. Mm. This time she fought back and she said, no, I want someone to check this properly. I want someone to like, you know, have a proper look at this and see, see what's, what's happening here. From there, that's when everything just like basically turned upside down from there. Um, yeah, they uh, done, because I think initially they done ultrasound, which doesn't really, um, I don't think that will really pinpoint if it's a cancerous or, or anything. I think you need to do a, like a biopsy to see if it's a cancerous tissue. Um, so they run a biopsy and so on. And it, it just seemed just like that, like a click of your fingers. They told her, oh, what do you think it is? And like, like, it's a silly question to ask someone, isn't it? Like, what do you think, what do you think this is? Wow. It's, can- <laughs> it's cancer, you know? And I remember I was like, I dropped a- Sorry, where was this? What hospital was this? Oh, this was in Newham General Hospital. All of the doctors and everything, because I'm from Newham. So our like local hospital and um, medical trust is all to do with Newham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, okay. You know, not to be school on them or anything like that. They didn't get the best care at all. And also, but she did go to within that year that she had the um, the lump and stuff. She tried all them things. Um, I think Great Auburn Street have a genetics test mm-hmm. um, to see because we was told we told them that we, there's a record of cancer in our family. So you know, they always ask you when you're going no. to do these tests and stuff, is it in your family? Because, you know, again, you're ticking the boxes. If it's not in your family, then it's less likely for you to have it. Yeah. And I don't know why things work like that. I don't know if it's to do with budget or, yeah. what, or what. But, yeah, so basically I asked her, what do you think it is? And then the guy was like, it's cancer. Just like that. Boom. Literally. Just like that. I remember I dropped her to the hospital, and I, but I didn't go in. My mum went, went in with my, and my aunt. And I remember just sitting outside in the car. And I, I don't know, it was just weird. It's just like a, like a tunnel vision, slow-mo motion when like, they come out of the hospital. Because I, I just expected them to, you know, it's nothing. I, don't, I didn't really know too much about it. You know, it's like w- women's troubles to me at the time. It was just like, not something I was really too involved in. It's, it's my sister, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like freeze frame. Like, like when they walk into the car and I just see everyone's faces and I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And she just told me, just told me like blank straight, she's got uh, breast cancer. And not only that, it's the fact that she thought she just had a lump in her left, left breast. But when they'd run the test and all the tests and stuff like that they'd done on her, she actually found out that she had cancer in her right breast as well. So it was on both. It was in both breasts. Yeah. So it was in both breasts. And yeah, literally everything kind of like snowballed. Everything just went fast. And I feel like it's gone fast ever since. Like since then, it feels like that was yesterday. And like now we're in almost 2021. And this was like 2015 that it started. And everything's just gone so fast. So yeah, she had that initial um, diagnosis. And literally after that, she had another appointment with her consultant to talk about what's the next process to it. Uh, Because I know you see on TV, everyone's a bit naive to it. I've said this before. It's like even myself. It's like, I feel like, oh yeah. People get breast cancer, they have a little operation, they either like remove the lump or remove the breast or something like that. But I know it sounds a bit ignorant and stuff, but you feel like, oh yeah, a woman can still continue their life, you know, they'll get like reconstructive surgery and stuff and everything's okay, you know. But there's a way more to it than that, way, way more to it than that. You know what I mean? It's just it's something that it's, it's, it's all new to you. Um, 
And of course, it's going to be a shock and all these thoughts are going to be going through your mind. You know what I mean? And it, so no, there's no need. You don't need to be sorry about that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough to hear that news in the first place that someone so close to you has this. So, so yeah, it's totally natural. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going, my friend. Yeah, so, um, yes, yeah, she had another, like, a appointment with a, a consultant to say what's the, the next steps. Mm. Um, and he basically told her, oh, okay, need to have an operation. So she's going to need to have a mastectomy, which is the removal of the breast and the breast tissue. Mm. That was on um, one side, which was the, the left side. And then um, she'll also need to have a lumpectomy, uh, which is, like, uh, you can kind of compare it almost to, like, keyhole surgery. I'd say so they go in, remove the lump and um, like that. So they don't have to remove the whole breast in a sense, you know, so she'll need to have that. And then after that, she will need to go through a course of, um, of chemotherapy. And then after that, she would also need to do uh, radiotherapy. But like before them things happen, she'll need to go on a course of like hormone treatment for um, fertility. Right. All of this was just in the meeting. All of this stuff just thrown at us. Wow. Um, that, that all this stuff is going to happen. I can't imagine what she must have been going through mentally. How she, how was she dealing with all this? You know, the initial diagnosis and, and then everything else after that. How was she dealing with that? Oh, uh, literally, just like like I said, when she come to the car and she just broke out to me and just said, oh, "Boom! This is this is it. This is what's happening." Basically, her thing was, "Okay, where, where do we go from here?" Oh, right. Like she's okay. not gonna. She won't. She won't. She won't type of person to kind of like sit and dwell and think oh like why is this happening to yeah, me and yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff she was more like let's get this going so i can get on with my life get you know let's, yeah. get it, let's get it let's get it done let's yeah. get it sorted and while the um, consultant was talking to her and stuff she's like oh yeah i'm hearing about all these operations and stuff like that like when is this going to happen like what when what time frame are we looking at when am i going to have these operations and he said yeah you're booked in for tomorrow seven o'clock seven a.m right okay Literally, we've wow. gone to a meeting. Like you, it's like you go into the doctor today mm. about something, and tomorrow you're scheduled in to have a major surgery. Mm. And it was just literally put like that. Man. There was no heads up. There was no Nothing. anything beforehand. They've booked everything in and and stuff like that for yeah. you. And like it was literally just. It, she felt like, um, and she said that this in one of her videos. She said that she felt like it was all like a rush and a cover up, you know, because they they know that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because by the time that they'd seen this. It was aggressive cancer. It wasn't like, you know, something that could just be dealt with, like, because I know some people can go through cancer and only need maybe chemotherapy or only need to have an operation and to move the cancer cells and stuff. But her one, she had to have the works, basically. And they had it all planned out for her already. So um, she felt kind of like, wow, they're kind of rushing this. And it's like, I remember that day as well, like literally leaving the hospital mm. and then literally having to go up um, to the, the local shopping centre to look for like, you know, things like pajamas, clothes, like, you know, a bag, yeah. all of this stuff for hospital, all hospital stuff, all like, you know, loose fitting stuff and, and all of these things. And it's like for her, like a young girl, her world is literally going to change in a matter of hours. She ain't even got 24 hours to process it, you know? So yeah, like the very next day she went through and had the operation and yeah, it was, I think it was like an eight hour procedure. It was an eight-hour procedure, and she come out of it, and I remember looking, looking at her, and she was like a grey colour. I've got a picture of it on my phone, because uh, I took a picture to show her when she woke up, but like what she would like, she looked grey, she looked different. Like, do you know what I mean? It was like, it was insane, and it's like everything was just so rushed and such a shock. It's like I was still processing it, like you know, I don't, I didn't know what's going yeah. on, I didn't know 
what to do, what to say, you know, how to how to kind of kind of deal with all of this. And even then, it's like still the doctors kept saying to her, you know, you're young, don't worry about it. You're young, you'll bounce back. You're young, you'll be able to do this and blah 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 blah. Everything is always because you're young, you're young, you're young. Everything's gonna be alright. You're young, you're young. You know. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So she yeah she had the operation had a little like time of recovery. She was in Newham hospital. Again, she had this major surgery and she was put on a ward with like loads of other, uh, other people, like, you know, bed to bed kind of situation. And we were thinking like, wow, what's, what is this? Like, you know, like, cause we were scared of infections. Sorry, very, very quickly. What, what was the operation? Uh, the, the operation was to remove one breast. Yeah. And then the other side was to remove the, um, the lump or the cancerous cells in the other one. Right, uh, so okay, yeah. mastectomy and lumpectomy. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, and also when they, as they removed, they removed the breast, they put in um, something which is called a spacer. Right. So that this means it's like a plan for the future so that your body doesn't like kind of heal and like tighten over. Mm. Um, like, you know, it's put underneath, I think, it, I think it's put underneath the muscle or like it's a spacer, it saves the space. It's not a, quite an implant. Mm. Um, but it saves the space for when you do get your implant or you do get your reconstructive, um, your reconstructive surgery. Oh, right. So she had that in place right. kind of okay. thing. Had all that done. Wow. Yeah. All, all that done like in a flash, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, she had that. And then shortly after she started her course of chemotherapy. So she went through the motions of that, um, hair loss, mm-hmm. uh, loss of appetite, um, all of these other things mm. um, as well. And literally, this is all just back to back, one thing after another, like loads of letters. Oh, yeah. You get loads of le- like, uh, I mean, you've been through it yourself, so, so you know, every day. Oh, I did with a lot, a hell of a lot of stuff, yeah. A lot of stuff, a lot of information as well to put in. It's like today you're doing this and you need to take this and you need to meet this person at this place. And, you know, it's like loads and loads and loads of information. I don't know how she processed it herself. And, organized it mm. um but she managed to do it and she didn't like you know wasn't really upset about anything really yeah and also she got a call from her um, breast care nurse to say that they had run tests on her lymph nodes mm. so that she they run tests on her lymph nodes and they found out that 10 out of the 13 lymph nodes in her left arm were affected by the cancer so she had to go in again and have another surgery to have her lymph nodes removed which again caused her to have lymphedema so as well as not having your breast anymore, she would always have a constant swelling in her left arm. So her left arm was bigger than the right arm. And she couldn't really, she was told that you can't really use it. You can't take a knock with this arm. You shouldn't lift things with this arm. Basically, it's your arm, but it's not your arm. It's just like there. I mean, she can move it and move her fingers and stuff, but you have to treat it like it's proper fragile because if you take a knock when you've got lymphedema, the swelling will never yeah. go down. So she had to have an operation for that. What was the time scale from her having the, the, the breast surgery to having the operation for Um, I think it was about, I remember, it was like about a week or two after, something like that. Really? Yeah. After that? Yeah. So again, it's the oh, whole motions again, you know, putting her yeah, under anaesthetic yeah. and taking her to the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, I'm there, I'm watching all of these things. Um, How are you and your family coping with all this as well? I don't know. It's like, because... um. Like, I wanted to be, you know, like, down and out kind of thing. You know, that's what my mind was telling me to be, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, hell, like, this is, this is crazy, because you see it on TV, but you never think it's going to happen to you. You never think it's going to happen to someone close to you. And yeah. I, I've heard that so many times before, but then when it hits you, it hits you yeah. hard, like, 
But because my sister was so like strong and adamant on carrying on and fighting and yeah. like not showing any kind of weakness, you know, still in the hospital, still making jokes, still doing everything, still talking, still like everything. Yeah. It's hard for you to be the one upset because it's not you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not you to do it. So you have to like, you have to continue with her energy. So yeah. she gave me the energy. She gave the rest of my family the energy to, you know, keep a positive outlook on everything. Wow. Like, you know, stay positive and stay. But yeah, me and my sister, um, I mean, my sister was like one year older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, ac- in like academic year, she was uh, like, the, if I was in year 10, she was in year 11, mm-hmm. you know, and so on. When I was in year seven, she was in year eight. Um, so yeah, we've done a lot of things together. So when, mm. uh, when the women was both young, we shared like a push chair together. Mm. We used to wear like similar clothes. It was almost like we was twins, although she was older than me, she wasn't much older than me. Mm. Uh, we was like twins. We went to the same school, went to the same college. We even went to the same uni, like shared the same flat. It's only this past year that I've had a job where mm. my sister hasn't been at the same place than me. We shared all the same things. Like we had the same jobs and stuff, like worked in the same establishments and everything. So to me, it was like a big, like, it's a big loss to me, you know? Yeah. So yeah, like that, that's why I bounced off my sister so much because we was quite, we was quite close. We grew, grew up together, you know? Oh, well, I mean, obviously it, it just shows, you know, just to hear that, that the character what, that she was and, What's so important as well is that because of her attitude and her outlook as to how to deal with what was put in front of her, you know what I mean? As you said, she just got on with it. She was always laughing and joking and what have you. You're able to feed off that and that and that shows the importance of one's attitude towards whatever is put in front of them because it impacts on those around you. And um, it's, it's amazing to hear how you fed off her you know what I mean and and that just resonates what a wonderful courageous strong human being she actually was and um well to have gone through all of that in such a short space of time you know you can only you know what a what a memory what a legacy you know um, definitely she uh you must be so proud you know of her Oh, 100%, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally she had she had that operation in her arm. W- what happened after that? Uh, so after that, that's when she started her um, fertility. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, chemotherapy and all of these operations and, and medication that you take can affect um, your chances of being fertile and having, you know, having children. So what they do is they give you an injection that you have to take over a course of a week or two weeks, I think it is every morning. Mm-hmm. And it like, you know, speeds up the process and then they can harvest your eggs and freeze them for like, you know, later use kind of thing. Yeah. And um, this is all done at home. So what they do, they give you needles. Yeah. And every morning I'll give my sister an injection in her belly uh, for that. All right. So you gave her, yeah. You got to continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've done that. I've got to learn, um, learn how to give someone an injection, which was a bit scary at first. But uh, again, it's one of them things. It's like, I, I can't be shaky with it. If she's just like, oh, get on with it. Just do it. I can't do it myself. Yeah. yeah I yeah. can't be, you know. So yeah, she done that. And then after that, that's when she started her chemotherapy, which had loads and loads of side effects. What's the main one? Well, um, just in general, feeling sick. Right. So feeling sick, not having an appetite, always, you know, throwing up, not being able to keep food down. Yeah, yeah. You know, it lowers your immune system, so you're in, you're more 
likely to get like any kind of infections from a cough to a cold to something more sinister. So yeah, literally in and out of the hospital. You know, you have to, I had to regularly take her temperature. My mum was always watching over her to take her temperature and stuff. As soon as the temperature spiked, straight hospital. I don't know how many times we've, um, um, we actually went to the A&E, uh, Newham General. Yeah. Like, you just come accustomed to yeah. it. It just becomes, you kind of become like, kind of numb to it. Yeah. Calling the ambulance. You know, you have to know everything what to do. Like, you know, you have to literally, as fast as everything happens, it's as fast as you have to learn. You have to learn that what medicine they're on, yeah. what they're allergic to, yeah. the last time this happened, the last time that happened, you know, because all this information is like crucial. And not all the time she was able to even speak for herself. She was even in so much pain or like she physically couldn't. So yeah, so she had the chemotherapy and then she went on to have radiotherapy, which also had its side effects. You know, it's like uh, makes your skin darker. Kind of, It's like almost burning. Like, And uh, the implant that they put in, the spacer, the radiotherapy made that turn to like literally rock. So if you touch it, it was like touching a stone. And she had to walk around with that in her chest for like over a year. Really? Yeah. Oh. So yeah, fast forward now. Um, she's done all that. She started, um, you know, piecing her life back together again. You know, started to get her independence back. She still had the lymphedema. Mm. She had, still had aches and pains and stuff like that. But she, you know, she was going through the motions. She, was, she lost all of her hair. She got her hair back. It come back curly. She loved it. Uh, yeah, she was just getting on with things and she joined like different cancer groups and stuff like that. She done a, a video, um, like a documentary of, uh, of what's happened and stuff. And I remember it was actually at the premiere of the, the documentary. Just before that, she had found a rash, like, you know, a rash on her chest. You know, everything was, she got it all clear. Everything was okay. And she was looking forward to a reconstructive surgery. She had a date booked. They had everything they're ready. They like she knew what was going to happen to her. She was excited to this next step in your life. I know surgery shouldn't sound exciting, but for her it was like you know. Oh, for her, yeah. She felt like she wanted to get this spacer out, and she felt like she was going to become a woman again, you know, because she felt like that was kind of taken away from her, like a, a femininity. Yeah. So um, all that was in the pipeworks. Everything we was looking forward to. I was happy for her, you know. Getting the, the words that all clear is like amazing, you know? Yeah. You know, and you're definitely getting back to your own life. You know, I was going back to work. Everyone's going back to doing their thing. Obviously, we're still cool. I'm sure she's all right and that. But she was more independent now, you know? So, you know, the worry was fading. Yeah. And then she found a rash on her chest. Again, straight to the doctor. Found this rash. It doesn't look right to me. It doesn't feel right. You know, even if you do your searches and stuff, like on Google and stuff, if you type in, you know, the characteristics of this rash, it will give you a whole load of answers, yeah. you know? Go to the doctors, the professionals again. Find this rash. They know my history, her history. She's had cancer before. Oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. The rash is nothing. Should go away in a few days. Here's some steroid cream. Give her the cream. I can't believe I'm hearing this. I really can't. Sorry. <laughs> I can't imagine how you must be feeling. I mean, I, I'm feeling angry just listening to this. Uh, I really am. I, don't, I can't imagine how you must be feeling. Or you must have felt having heard that initially and for the, to come back and for them to say. Same thing. To give her cream for this rash, knowing her history. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, ang- I'm sorry I'm angry. But yeah, yeah sorry, to carry on. Yeah, so they prescribed the cream for it. Again, she's like, nah. You know your body. You know when something's wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, even if you know the difference between a, like you having a little rash and something sinister and something in the same spot where 
everything has went down already. You know, the rash was on her chest, her chest area. The rash was right there. And, you know, her skin started to go like a funny texture. Like it's, a, it's like an orange pill texture. It's like called pitting, you know. If you tap it in on Google now, the results will come back as, <laughs> as, as cancer. I know it's not good to be a Google doctor, but all the symptoms are there. If you type them in, it doesn't take a genius to work that out. And it doesn't, you know, the doctors are the professionals. They should be able to look at it and say, you know what, I need to do a few more tests. Yeah. So again, she went back and asked them, demanded for a biopsy this time, you know. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care. The, oh, no, a biopsy shouldn't, it isn't really necessary. Um, blah, 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 blah. No, I insist. I want this done. Yeah. Do the biopsy. Literally get the call again. Come in to um, see the consultant. Uh, again, it's like, as you know, we've done the biopsy. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's, it's cancerous. Again. Another knockback. She's just sitting there. This time I was in the room as well when they said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, wow. Like, wow. <laughs> again. Yeah, again, the cancer. Um, so, yeah, they had to do a few other tests and stuff. Um, a test which involved, you, you just, I forgot, I don't know, really know what it's called, where you drink like a dye solution and then they scan you like an MRI kind of scan and stuff to find out what's going on inside and stuff. Now they don't know that that's cancerous. Let's see what else is happening around the body and stuff like that. So she's done all these tests and stuff, gone back again. Yeah. So, yeah, we know that you've got the cancers reoccurring in the breast there. But I'm sorry to tell you that this time it's metastasized, mm. which means that it spread from the local area where it first started to other areas in your body. And when this happens, they say that it's not curable anymore. Her first cancer, when she first got breast cancer, through treatment can be curable. You can get the all clear. It might not come back again. So it can be cured. This time, it's not curable, but it's treatable. That's how they put it. It's not curable, but it's treatable, which means they can kind of like try to work to maintain it so that it doesn't, to give you a better, you know, a longer life. You're always going to have cancer in your life, but yeah, they can try to control it. She's 26 years old and she's been told that she's got basically, you could call it not, not terminal, but it's never going away. You know, you've got a life-threatening illness. It was always life-threatening, but this time, yeah. So yeah, once they'd done all them tests, it had showed that uh, the cancer had spread. So it had spread to the uh, femur in her leg. So that's the big bonus in your, in your like, thigh. It had spread to, like, obviously the skin around her chest and also in the bones in the chest. Um, it spread to her lower spine and it had also uh, spread to the base of her skull. Yeah, so yeah, at this stage, because... You think, wow, because when you hear things like spine and skull, for me, they're two, two no-go areas of anything, you know? The major. Yeah. It's almost along with your heart in the body, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it's just like, let's deal with this. What do, what do we have to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's, uh, there was no operations this time. It was just like a course of uh, chemotherapy, mm. but she would have to keep doing this this chemotherapy. And like you know, the first one didn't agree with her. She had to go on a different course of chemotherapy, and yeah, she was just on like chemo and going to the doctors and hospital. And again, with the chemo, lose your hair, literally back to square one again. I mean, I just want to ask you, 
obviously you said that her reaction when she first was told that she had breast cancer, she's now been given this devastating news again. Not only has she got cancer again, but it's spreading throughout her body. How, how did she deal with the news the second time round? Yeah, how did she deal with that? You know what? I can't even, like, it, everything happened so fast. Mm. And everything's just, like, so much of a blur. Like, that I can't even, like, in my head, I can't even fathom. I can't, I can't even, like, re-envision what happened. Mm-hmm. But I know that she didn't, like, burst into tears. She didn't do any of these things. Like, that you would, not these normal reactions right. that you would expect from someone that is that kind of news, you know? I was more, yeah, she's just kind of, like, it's dealt, like, you know, she was putting on, like, a brave face for everyone else or something. But she didn't seem like it didn't phase her. I mean, she was upset, obviously. Clearly, you would be upset about it. But she didn't go through, like, you know, all the things that you would think that someone would go through. She hid it well. If, if she, she was going through stuff, she hid it really well. But this time, she had a different outlook on life. I'd say this one kind of changed her as a person. Yeah. Whereas before, she was, like, she was all right with, like, you know, feeling sick from the chemo and kind of sitting down and just feeling sick not doing anything. This time round, boom, she, uh, I have my chemo. Oh, what are we doing today? Where are we going today? What's going on? Do you know what I mean? Even if she felt sick, even if she felt poorly, like even if it was a struggle, she literally squeezed every bit that she could out of life. Every experience that she could get out of life from that point onwards, she was doing it. But she said, all right, you know, I'm going to lose my hair, but I'm going to dye it blue. So she dyed her hair bright blue before she lost it. Oh, wow. You know, just just a, she loved blue. Blue was her colour. She said, you know what? I don't care what anyone else thinks, stuff like that. I don't care. I'm going to dye my hair bright blue. And that's what she did. Anything that she wanted to do, she would just literally wanted to do it. She would just go and do it. Wow. <laughs> and that's what, like, a, you know, I admired about her. You know, she could sit there and mope and think, oh, like, you know. Wow. What a brave, brave woman. What a brave woman. Even though she, you said that she came across brave and what have you, I mean, after you had, a, you had a close relationship with her, did she did she confide in you in any way? I mean, we had like a we had a few talks and stuff, but it's just like even myself, I didn't really know what to say or what to ask. Yeah, you know. Yeah, of course. Being in her position and stuff like that, it's just like I don't even know what to ask and stuff. And it's just like I'd rather her just say stuff to me than me. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I would ask her, Are "You feeling alright?" or whatever. But I never kind of think like, "Like, where's your mind? Like, mind that was." We did have conversations and stuff, mm. but I would never like, you know, kind of pry into the feelings and stuff. And I think it's more so not just for her. I think it's more so for myself. Yeah, like you kind of protect yourself from that because I'm not too sure what she would reply. Yeah, and I don't know. Not too sure how I would feel about like her replies like there's stuff I wanted to know you know are you scared are you this and that Mm. and it's just like knowing that she could be scared or she could be going through all these motions Mm. and stuff and I'm a I'm a little brother and there's nothing that I can do about it there's nothing I can do to help her I've always been able to help her you know my whole life I've been able to help her you know when she had troubles at school and stuff like that I'll go to the school gates and and meet her and stuff like that so there's no trouble you know Mm. stuff that your brother would do for you and and these things there's nothing I felt like I just felt so helpless. And I spent a lot of time, yeah. a lot of nights, like, you know, up until 
five, six o'clock in the morning on Google, reading stuff, looking on YouTube, looking at books and stuff like, what can we do? Who can I talk to? Who can I message? There must be a specialist doctor. There must be someone out there that can help my sister. You know, mm. looking at what this means, life, ex- the worst thing I ever looked at was life expectancy mm. of people that, that's had this before. Because it kind of put a, mm. it puts you into a bracket of like, you know, and I see that the like, longest that people live was like 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, wow, 10 years, like in 10 years time, yeah. my sister's not, m- might not be here, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. But I see a video and I see a doctor saying that every person's different. And there's um, some people that he's met two years, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Two months, they're gone. There's other people that he's been treating for the past 15 years. They're still here. They're still running marathons. They're still doing loads of things, you know? So you can't take what someone writes down as textbook. Of course you can't. And I wish the doctors that knew him, like, practiced that as well, you know? Treat everyone as an individual and not everyone as textbook. Not everything in life is black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything is black and white. So so that happened. That was in um, 2018 that happened. So this is three. This is three years after she found the lump. All of this has happened. Yeah. Her life has literally changed okay. three years after she found this lump. And um, yeah, so again, you know, up and down, A and E, this infection, that infection, not feeling too good. It, it was affecting her breathing. Her breathing started to, it started to affect her breathing. You know, for a while. And uh, um, at first, they couldn't pinpoint where it was. But then she, they found out that it was like a buildup of fluid on her lungs. Yeah. So she went in and had the fluid um, drained off of her lungs. Uh, all of this stuff I've got, like, you know, we documented everything because she was like, you know, very much about spreading the message, spreading the word, letting people know what she's going through and, you know, documenting things. And I remember they took off something like over a litre of fluid off of her lungs that she'd been walking around with carrying in her chest. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that, that she just struggled with that for, for a while, like, you know, they drained that off and it just kept building up again. Mm-hmm. And she gradually, you see her, she started to get weaker and weaker and weaker to the point where she couldn't really walk anymore. And it's like, like a, a stick to walk with to being pushed around in a wheelchair. And this is a girl that I used to ride a bike with and run in the park with and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm pushing my sister around in a wheelchair. That must have been tough to, you know what I mean? Very tough, you know, very, very, very tough. And it's like a lot of the times I'd sit and like, find myself staring at her like you know yeah. you know you feel all these emotions your eyes start to tear up and I'll just literally have to snap myself back into reality and think nah you know she's not crying about it so I'm not going to cry about this what's the one bit of advice that you would give someone a family um, someone like yourself going through the same situation uh, the one bit of advice I'd give is like cherish like every moment like you were saying earlier about, you know, Christmas time and you don't know when people are going to be gone and stuff. Mm. It's just like cherish every, every moment and do things like, you know, because we live in a world where it's like there's always tomorrow to do something. Mm. And I even found myself doing that, even though my sister's here and I know that she's ill and stuff like that. It's just like she wanted my help with some things sometimes. And it's just like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry. Like, especially like video content and stuff like, you know. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this later. We're gonna upload this later, or we're gonna do this another time, or you know, mm. all that kind of stuff. And now I have to live with like regret that I never done that at that time. I never had that conversation. I never done all these things because I always thought, you know, it's she's not going nowhere, you know. 
so just like cherish them moments and your family and your friends are your biggest support system i know some people are not fortunate enough to have people to go with them to like appointments and support them through tough times and stuff but your family and stuff is all that you have you know your family and your friends are all that you have and you you see it like you know when you're going through tough times and stuff you see the people around you that give you the energy to continue yeah so it's just keep keep the love like keep the people around you that's like the biggest advice that i would i would give to someone on in terms of something like more like medically if someone's going through something and they don't really know what to do just do your research you know mm-hmm. There's always an alternative to every solution that is handed to you. Yeah, yeah. So when a doctor says something, question it. Yeah. You're entitled to. Not always like whatever they're saying is the last result kind of thing. There's always another option. There's always someone else that you can talk to. Get a second opinion. That's what I'd say. Get a second opinion. You know, so at least you've got something to go by. So at least you, you know, oh, this person said this. And that person said that. Yeah. Where's like the middle ground and stuff? Where do I go from there? You know, you don't take everything on face value. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Because we're kind of like, we rely on these people because they're the professionals. But I've learned, but they're just human like everyone else and they make mistakes. And they did make a massive mistake in this case. And oh, it's okay. been like proven that they, if they would have acted when she first comes, she would be sitting here with me right now. We wouldn't be doing this podcast. You know, yeah, and all we got from that was a free sentence, a free line. Sorry, apology. Uh, uh, that is, um, I mean, before we go on, go on to that, like you said, you're pushing her, her around in the wheelchair, and um, obviously, that was difficult. You know, that's the stage that she was at. So, what happened from there? Okay, from um, uh, from there, it was it just kind of become the norm, you know going to hospital and just living like that, you know, making sure that she's okay. She was able to do things on her own, don't get me wrong, uh, some things, mm-hmm. um, but she wasn't as mobile as she used to be. And she relied on like the family and friends and stuff a lot to like keep, okay. keep her, you know, get her around and stuff. But her spirit never went down. She was still the same jokey, laughy person that she always was, you know, loved to dance, love music, all of that. That never went. Um, but it was just like, I remember she, we was on our way back from um, having a chemo because we, we, we started to take her to Bart's Hospital because it was, the facilities were way better. We had literally had enough of Newham. Newham was so bad that we said, mm. when the, the ambulance comes to pick her up, take her to Bart's. I know they, they haven't got an A&E unit, but you need to call someone to make sure there's a bed for her and take her straight to Bart's because Newham is not going to do anything for her. Nothing at all for her. The, the level of care there is literally zero. In my experience, zero. And I've had other people's experience as well. And it's not good. It's not good at all. So, yeah, we, I remember we was coming back from Bart's Hospital um, after chemo, get a phone call from a, um, from a consultant saying, oh, uh, Waverly, because um, she's still having these breathing problems. You know, we've booked you in to have a, another chest drain for the food on your lungs. You're booked in on um, on Tuesday. Yeah, you're going to be going to Bart's Hospital. You might have to stay in a couple of days just so we can monitor you and stuff. And then after that, you should be all right. She's like, all right, cool. You know, she's had a strain before. Uh, let's go. Let's do this, you know. So we packed a bag on that. Um, I think, yeah, I'm sure it was Tuesday. Took her to Bart's Hospital. And I can say to you, 
that is the last time I ever see my sister outside of the hospital. Is that day when I dropped her off to, uh, at Bart's. What time was this? This was like 2000 and this was 2019 now. Now we're in, um, I think it was around May, May times, maybe even before May. I can't remember. Everything is just such a, I should have, um, I, I've got the notes and stuff, everything down. But off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we've taken her to Bart's hospital. She, to have this drain done. We was there and from, from May. Yeah. And literally, literally lived at the hospital. Every single day at the hospital. My mum stayed there. My dad stayed there. My brother stayed there. I stayed there. My brother's girlfriend stayed there. My girlfriend at the time stayed there as well. We just done shifts. We done shifts and staying there looking after her because we wasn't like 100% because of our experience with hospitals and stuff. We wanted to be there. Like I wanted to be there. I would make mm-hmm. sure that I was there every single day at nine o'clock when the doctors do their rounds to see what's happening next, what's going on, what's happening next. You know, she went in there for a drain on her chest and they could not maintain it. They could not like, you know, she got like infections. The, the fluid just kept building up and building up and building up and building up. And she had the procedure a number of times to drain the fluid off her lungs. I remember I was there holding her hands when they'd done the procedure at one time. They could have done, they said that they would do a procedure where they put a thing called talcum. It's kind of like talcum powder. And what it does, it irritates the lining of your, your lungs and causes them to stick so the fluid would have nowhere to go. But they didn't do that procedure. Mm. They could have put in a permanent drain. My sister, to be fair, she didn't like the sound of the, the permanent drain thing and they didn't really put it like out there as an option. Like They didn't explain the pros and cons of the, the drain, drainage. So they said, oh, we're going to put a permanent drain in and you can kind of like, you know, carry around this bottle and drain it as and when kind of thing. She's 29 now, years old. And imagine that having her carrying a, a drain around you to drain off, as well as your lymphedema in your arm, as well as walk, uh, being pushed around in a wheelchair. Now you've got a drain to carry around with you. Yeah. But what they didn't say is that every time they do the procedure in draining the fluid off your lungs, it creates little tiny pockets. So then the liquid, the, the fluid starts building up in these little pockets. So when they go to extract the fluid the next time, they can't extract everything because it's in little pockets. So they have to go into each pocket. And every time they go in, it creates another pocket. So it's just creating bubbles and bubbles and bubbles and bubbles around your lungs. And if they would have explained all of these things the first time and given options and stuff like that, maybe they would have done things differently. But they said that this was the best thing to do. Um, So yeah, in the end, they couldn't control it. And we was in the hospital, literally from then until August, um, which is when she sadly passed away. And by this time, the cancer had spread to her lungs. So as well as the fluid, um, they tested the fluid and the fluid had cancer cells in it. So it had spread to her lungs and it was spreading. And I remember, you know, the, like, you know, palliative care people started to get involved and stuff like that. And I see a big change with like within a couple of weeks towards the end of her, her life, it wasn't, it didn't seem like her anymore. You know, it, it, it didn't really seem like her anymore. Like everything changed, like everything just moved so quickly. We went from watching, me and my sister would watch Love Island every night in the hospital while it was on. That was our thing. We'd just sit there. I, never, I, I wasn't into Love Island before, but it was just something to, to keep us going, you know, the spirit side, something to talk about. 
something to talk to the nurses and everything about. We watched that every day and she was able to talk. She was able to get up and do things and, you know, interact with people. But by the end, she was like, you know, barely opening her eyes, you know? Wow. Honestly, honestly this is an incredible, incredible story. Um, uh, what day did she pass away um, to? She passed away on the, um, on the 24th of August. Yeah, um, 2019. So my birthday was on the is on the 10th of August. Um, yeah, and I remember they come and they said, they come and they said one day, like you know, family, you got to start. You know, she hasn't got um, she hasn't got long left. Mm. You know, people that she needs to see, people that she needs to speak to, people that need to come and see her, they should come now. And I remember we got everyone, so many people flooding in. These times she didn't even know that. She didn't know her time. She never wanted to know any of that kind of stuff. She just lived day by day kind of thing. She knew that she was ill, but she always thought she was going to get better. Yeah. And that's a hard burden for us as a family or for anyone to carry that you know something that the other person, you know that what's coming for someone and they don't know. And they're fighting. Yeah, they're fighting. I mean, honestly, I could, I could speak to you so much longer too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, we've not got much time, but, I I was going to ask you how do you, your feelings towards um, the Newham Health Authority, but I've already got that impression. Yeah. Um, how angry you are, and and you've got every right to be angry. So I don't want to finish on that note. I want to ask you um, what's the one memory that stands out for you um, as regards weight, your sister Waverly. What really stands out for you? Just her, like her, her as a person. She's like. I don't know, hard to put into words, you know, hard to put a character into words. But a personal a memory is um, she had actually had chemo on her 29th birthday. I remember she had a blue wig, she had everything. She had a course of chemo on her 29th birthday. So she spent her birthday in the hospital. In a blue wig? Yeah, in a blue wig. And I remember while I was there at the hospital, I said, oh, let me run off quickly. And I, with help, we set up a little surprise for her. She thought no one was bothered by her birthday because she had chemo and stuff. She's not going to be able to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But we made sure that she was enjoyed it and people come around and stuff like that. And yeah, she was surprised when she come home and that. And there was loads of people there, but everyone was kind of like, you know, sad. She's had chemo. She's sick. It's her birthday. You know, she can't really celebrate and stuff. Right, yeah. And she was like, I remember she locked herself in a room and she was like, what's everyone so sad for downstairs? Like, why is not every, every, it's my birthday. Why are people not up and dancing? I've just had chemo, like, and I'm, you know, yeah. and then from that, she got everyone up and dancing on her birthday. You know what it's like, like chemotherapy takes the hell out of you, but she got up and was dancing. Oh my word. And that's a, that just shows the strength. No matter how like much pain she was in, mm. how, what she's been through, she was still able to, you know, be the life and soul of the party. And that's the way I always remember her. Uh, I tell you what, mate, and that's what I wanted to end on. You know, you are incredibly brave. I've done quite a few podcasts and I've got no, you know, this is, oh, this is new or what have you, but this has really hit a chord with me. You know, the first impression is that how incredibly brave you are to come on here and to speak about that experience. I mean, I would find that incredibly difficult for somebody that you were close to and you loved so, so much to come on here and to speak openly about her and the experience and what she went through. You are incredibly brave for doing that. 
and that I want to thank you so so much to honestly I really do from my heart thank you we're going to dedicate this podcast to Waverly because she's the way you describe her and obviously I've been through a cancer experience and everyone obviously on the podcast you know but she, she was incredibly brave to fight it once she was incredibly brave to fight it twice but her whole attitude her you know how brave and her courage and even though she was given this you know it was incurable you know what I mean and she only had a matter of time she still lived life to the full and you know just what you said about her birthday and the blue wig and being the life and soul of the party, wow, incredibly brave woman. Waverly, you know, you are an amazing person. So now you're looking down on us right now, and we are incredibly proud of you, incredibly proud of your, you must be so proud of your brother here, you know what I mean? What a, what a legacy. Amazing. So it's one final word from you. What's the one bit of advice you'd say to somebody going through that situation in terms of the support that you give your loved one? I'd say it's the main bit of advice that I'll give is to talk mm. and understanding. You know, if you don't talk, you don't really know what someone might be going through. You can try to help, but you might not know how to help. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just asking, what exactly do you need me to do? You know? Yeah. Because I remember my sister used to do things on, like, you know, sometimes she'll do things on her own and you wouldn't really know about it. So I didn't really know at first what kind of medication she was taking or how many and what to do and stuff mm. until one day she broke down and said, you know, I need help with this stuff. You know, it's a lot for me to remember. Yeah, and, that. yeah. and that's the guidance I needed, the push, just talking and being like, you know, transparent with how you feel and let your, you know, if you feel sad, like feel, feel sad about it, you know, talk about it, talk to the loved one about mm-hmm, it. Because mm-hmm. I know it's hard for someone that's going through it, the cancer, you don't want to feel like you're a burden on anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to see other people sad because of you and you don't want your whole presence to be like kind of doom and gloom. Mm. But talking all, like helps, it helps a lot. And that's important. I mean, that's why, again, these podcasts are, are important because you can learn so much. There's bits from here that you can take away and use. And that's a brilliant, brilliant piece of advice. Just to finish off, you're incredibly brave for doing this. Why is something like this type of podcast, Black Men Rising, so important in your opinion? Well, it's very important to me that the whole umbrella that you guys have got here is like, is amazing. And I see that you've got funding and everything like that. It's amazing to spread the word because as a community, we don't think these kind of things happen to us. You know, you don't generally see, because people don't normally post, like, you know, their down days and things like this going off. We don't really hear about it, but it is going on in our community. And it's important to me to be able to tell my sister's story and tell my story of what happens at the aftermath and continue her legacy so that this kind of thing doesn't happen to someone else. That it won't happen to another young individual. It won't happen to someone else from our community because there's a complete knock-on effect. My life has changed. My brother's life has changed. My mum's, my dad's, everyone around us' life has changed with my sister being gone. You know, one person has the cancer, but we all feel it. Everyone feels it. And this didn't need to happen. I shouldn't be having this kind of conversation, although I'm, I'm enjoying being able to do this, but she should be here, you know, and this shouldn't happen to anyone ever again. So podcasts like this give people a voice. And it gives people a chance to have this discussion and see things from a different perspective. And also listen, like, you know, 
and sometimes you might ask me questions and and I might reflect on myself and think, oh, that's something I, I didn't think about. Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. See, it helps, like I said before, talking helps. It helps a great deal. You know, it's good to let things out. And things like this are amazing platforms to be able to let it out and a good source of information for other people to, to learn from as well. Uh, honestly, um, you know, I, I wish I could jump through this phone and, and get your fam together and give you all a big hug, you know what I mean, honestly. <laughs> This podcast, honestly, it's, it's probably the most, out of all the podcasts, it's the most powerful one for me and gives the most powerful message because it, it's given a message of someone who was incredibly brave and, uh, and it truly resonates with me. Um, Tush, I just want to thank you big time for, for coming on here and, and speaking again so openly about the experience and uh, Waverly's legacy. I want to give, you know, big love to you, your family. And, um, you know, honestly, you have put across a very, very powerful message as well as a, an incredible memory of someone so great. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. Where can people find you? Okay, so my sister started a page when she was uh, going through everything. It's called uh, Cancer Slayer. Mm. So... Uh, cancer underscore slayer underscore yeah so everything's on there um she's got quite a lot of footage and stuff out there which tells her story from her point of view and stuff uh she's also got a youtube okay. if you was to google type in uh waverly alphonse uh, you'll find a lot of right. her content on there she's got a youtube channel so a lot of the footage and stuff like that is on there but we we as a family we post a lot on her um cancer slayer uh instagram page uh cancer slayer yeah yeah so cancer underscore slayer underscore so that's where you'll find me if you want to get in contact with me it's tush uh, underscore (laughs) yeah good brilliant brilliant tush honestly i could speak to you for a lot longer there's so many things going on that i would i would love to have asked and you know especially as regards you know yourself and 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 what have you but obviously we've run out of time but it's been absolutely amazing speaking with you yeah I want to wish you guys, uh, you know, the best Christmas possible. I know, obviously, it'd be, you know, it's slightly different, Waverly not being there, but, you know, we celebrate a memory. And um, I-, I want to thank you so much for sharing that with us. God bless you, Tush. Bless you too, man. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, lovely to meet you. Lovely to speak with you. God bless. Take care. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.